0: You are listening to an ODI
1: live event podcast. You can find out more about events and research by the Overseas Development Institute by visiting our website, odi.org.
2: I want to welcome you to today's ODI e- uh, event. Uh, our topic today is improving local governance and the service delivery. Shouting The system won't make it work. Uh, as well as those who here in London. We have several other online viewers watching around, from around the world. I look forward to receiving your questions later. Uh, let me introduce myself. My name's is uh, Andrew Mush. I work with Mzumbe University as a lecturer. Uh, Mzumbe University is in Tanzania. My background is in an in a, in a NGO. I grew, uh, I grew up in NGO. I worked with, with NGOs. Uh, last time I was with Tanzania Association of non government Organizations, and later uh, I went to do my Ph.D., and uh, my focus was more on uh, NGO and the activism in Tanzania. After my Ph.D., I, I joined Mzuba University as a lecturer, and mostly I teach courses in governance and the civil societies uh, at the masters and undergraduate level. And uh, also I'm part of this, of the team, of which we have this project on improving local, local governance and service delivery. Of which we are uh, trying to see to develop a, 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 a performance index for local governances in Tanzania. Uh, mm, so our today's focus is really to, we are trying to see the whole question of accountability and the, to see the gap between uh, what the theories and the practice. Uh, Theories, the gap between theory and the practice, and the, even our project was more focusing is more focused on that aspect of trying to see the the gap between theory and the practice. Uh, to get, uh, so we are going to try to answer and uh, focus our uh, discussion around that topic. Uh, Where I have a, together with a panelist. Panel of five uh, uh, experts. Uh, on my right hand side, f- next to me is Anam De who is, uh, with with Leeds University. Also, is a uh, ODI associate. Annam De is a development anthropologist with more than twenty years of uh, uh, twenty years of experience in researching, writing, and teaching on development policy. Uh, her research focuses on local governance, community-driven development, livelihoods, and the effective aid effectiveness and the self delivery. Next to her, we have Patricia Schomba. Patricia is independent researcher with significant experience in researching, writing, and training, training on development policy and the practices, practice at international and the, na- and the national level. Her research focuses on local governance, poverty alleviation, illegal immigrants, Illegal migration and the gender issues. And the, on my left hand side, I have an Lianke. Uh, at the moment, she's in her final stages of writing a PhD at the University of Bradford. And before that, she used to work with media in Tanzania. And the, her last assignment was with, with Tanzania Women Association. Uh, that's TAMWA, that's a uh, media. Association for Journalists, Women, I mean, fem, I mean Women Journalists in Tanzania. And Analia is the experienced journalist who has covered the issues of development, gender, and politics in Tanzania. Her research focuses on how traditional media shape debates on development. Uh, and the, another expert in, uh, panelist is Tim Kelsall. She is and at the end of my right-hand side. Uh, Tim is with ODI uh, on politics and the governance team. Tim specializes in political economy and political economy analysis and the political anthropology. And he has interests in, interest in governance, democracy, transitional uh, justice, economic growth, education, and health. He has worked in several country, developing countries, including Tanzania, Sierra Leone, and the Cambodia. And the lastly, have Helen Mills. She's a she's worked with the INTRAC. Uh, is a, she's a chief executive. She just recently joined the, the organization. Uh, Helen comes to INTRAC from Uganda, where she has been leading the implementation of the civil society focuses. Sorry. She is leading the implementation of the civil society-focused democratic governance facility that DGF shares a wide-ranging background in international development, both overseas and in London with UK's Department for International Development, in individual consultants as well as in the private sector. Helen has also worked with public sector policymakers and the civil Civil society practitioners in a variety of leadership roles to advance social change in other parts of Africa and Asia. Uh, I would like to start my to to engage my team by asking Anna and Patricia. uh, uh, I want to ask them the I mean to educate us on the following issues. What are the highlights and the key issue and the key takeaways of our uh, three-year DFID-SRC funded project that aimed at creating a local, uh, local governance index in Tanzania? Please, uh, Anna and the Patricia, uh, take over.
3: Thank you, Andrew. I mean, the sort of overall focus of the event this morning is around this idea of how can we make local governance work better? How can we get better service delivery? And particularly service delivery that um, is accessible to and impacts on the very poorest so that we have more equitable um, and inclusive social services. And we started off on a three-year research project really exploring this problem. How do you get better service delivery? How do you improve local governance um, in order to drive service delivery that is inclusive, but also to just drive improvements in service delivery more generally? The research started off, I mean, like these ESRC diffid projects, they evolve over a number of years. So the th- original thinking for the project goes back to 2011, 2012. And that was a time when indexes are all the, the rage. And we have things like the Mo Ibrahim Governance Index being seen as having great potential in terms of driving conversations around governance. And so this particular research proposal came out of a conversation in Tanzania with the then director of the Foundation for Civil Society, who said, well, we have these governance indexes at the national level and the international level. Couldn't we make one for the local government level? So that when I'm working with civil society, they have some sort of tool that says, how is local government doing? A mechanism by which to engage local government on their performance. And so the project derived or started from that idea, It then takes quite a long time to go from proposal to getting the the funds in place and delivering a project like this. And this is a research project that was essentially asking the question then, can we create a local governance performance index in Tanzania? What are the politics of doing that? What are the dynamics of doing that? Mm. How would we implement it? So it's not a consultancy project in the sense that we didn't set out to design and implement a local governance index and that was particularly one of the comments we had back from the reviewers of this as a research project saying don't make this a consultancy project this is a research project about the process of trying to do that so when we talk about the research and um, when you read about the, the sort of outputs of the project it's very much in that tone we're not trying to create a manual for how to do a local governance performance index, we're talking about what is that space for trying to create a local governance performance index, how possible is it to get there, and what are the sort of essential questions, bottlenecks, and things that we find as we go. So because the time is is quite short, I'll go directly to the project then. So over the last three years, we've been working as a team. Now, I started off within Mzumbay University on this project and have since moved ODI and now University of Leeds, but we're a, a a team of Mzumbe University leading the project with the Foundation for Civil Society in Tanzania within Intrac, um, and later then with ODI and the Chronic Poverty um, Advisory Network. The project starts with trying to map the space. So we have this diagram here that really comes out of the first phase of the project. We were working in two different districts of Tanzania, um, an urban area in the far west of the country and a more rural area in Vomero district, to try and say how does the governance system in Tanzania work in theory and how does it actually work in practice. And so what we've done is map out how the system is. You can see it goes from the national level down to the village level. If we can just go down to the, the village level... We started at the village level, and we took four villages in each place. Now, if you want to know about the methodology, I think it's best to have that conversation later or go to our, our documents. But through wide range of interviewing at the village level, um, we mapped the system, how things actually happened, who was responsible for what in the system. Because if we're going to hold local government to account, which bit of local government are we holding to account, and what are we holding them to account for? So when we start to map out the system, we find a very big gap in the Tanzanian context between the system in theory and what actually happens in practice. So how does change happen in practice is many multiple routes very often from the village level where villages are trying to negotiate many different actors, local government being one of them. But also we have, a, if we go up the system, the remains of the one-party system in the district and regional commissioners. We have extremely influential um, faith-based organisations, which are service delivery organisations as well, um, and civil society organisations. So we have a very complex governance setup. And so if we're going to say what are lines of accountability, who are we holding to account, it's very hard to do that in a system where we have multiple lines of accountability. What we also found was in our interviewing throughout the system, so we interviewed and did field work from the village level up, through the ward level, through the district level, if we could go up the the slide please, right up to the national level, and that was enabling us to track the different lines of accountability. What we also found was different lines of blame through the system. the district would blame the central government, but also they'd blame the villagers for not delivering on policies. The villagers would blame each other very often. It's our fault we haven't delivered development. They would also blame the district. They would blame the ward councillors. So there were many, many lines of blame, and it was very, very opaque as to who should even be held account to account. The decentralisation system of the government actually is designed to push blame to the villagers. If services aren't delivered, it's actually the villagers who are at fault. So village councils, if we go right back down, have a huge list of responsibilities for delivery. I find this quite personal, since my father-in-law is a village chairman, so we often discuss all these issues that the village have to deliver without resources and, you know, as a voluntary job, essentially. Um, I'm going to move on quite quickly because time is very short. So what we did from... Looking at these lines of blame and lines of accountability, we say, well, what indicators could we actually use to say something about service delivery in a way that encompasses the difficulties at all of these different levels and captures some of these multiple levels? So in a very iterative, repeated process of going back to the villages, going back to the districts, going back to the wards, we've come up with a list of indicators, and you have a one-page of the various indicators. Now, these are generated out of an iterative process, which Patricia is going to talk about um, in a moment. What we've now done is collect a baseline of these indicators. There are gaps in the indicators, but what we're saying is that this local governance index can be used, and we found great receptiveness to it at the local level, but as a problem-solving tool not as a judgment tool of how good is your local government, but as a tool to start the conversations between the different actors at the different levels. So, for instance, in one area where you have a lot of land disputes, we can focus in on the land disputes and, and try and look at that as a problem-solving area. So it's, the point is that it's not about the shouting at the system, but trying to understand where the blockages are in the system and how we can work around those. And I'll pass on to Patricia, who's been directly involved in creating the s- final set of indicators and collecting the baseline data. Thank you, Thank you Ada.
4: <clears throat> so um, uh, there is so much to say, so I'm just trying to figure out how to put it in a very easy way. Well, what we did, um, the f- after phase one, after we collected and, for, and the first uh, set of information, we went to the people to ask them about what they think about the service delivery and and they given us their opinion on what they were not happy with so we put them together and came out with what Anna just uh, talk, talked about then we went back to them again as uh, we did some focus groups with um, the, c- the citizen with um, the local government which is like councilors and uh, we didn't manage to talk to the MPs, but we talked to the councillors and we talked to the civil society as well. We presented to them these um, uh, indicators for them to tell us what they think. So um, we (coughs) went through the process where we ask them to tell us if we, make, if we had this, uh, will it make any difference in terms of what they do in their everyday life? Will it make any difference for the citizen and for the council? Would they use it if it was uh, if it was made available to them? And they they um, they all say that it was uh, useful to have something like that because, like Anna said, we start the discussion. So it's not about trying to blame. Part, one part for not doing something because we already know there is a lot of blame going on around there, like the government blaming citizens, citizens blaming the government. So it wasn't about that. It's just about if we have to start that conversation, do you think these indicators will help you? So they uh, they gave their opinion, which most of, the, most, um, mo- most of them were quite positive, and they did tell us what they think that didn't make sense to them. Because when we did the first... Um, phase or the first phase, uh, c- uh the civil society came up with some ideas like gender and roads. So I left it when we went back to do the workshop, then I asked them, do you think we should have something that is related to gender and roads? And it didn't make sense to them. So I because we asked them to tell us what they think, not us telling them what they should we should have on the indicators. So Based on that, we removed most of the indicators that we thought didn't make sense to our um, uh, stakeholders. So um, from there, then we come up with um, another set of indicators, a bit more refined than the one that we had before, and then we went out to test it. So we went to the same villages again to collect data on it, and that's what we are working on now. So. yeah, I'm running out of time, so I was just going, just to finish off, to say that it was a very positive and participatory experience that, for me, the take on is that citizen did really like uh, the idea that we went back to them to give them feedback two years later to what um, we did, uh, uh, like, when we went on phase one to ask them questions, they were quite happy that we came back to give them feedback on the outcome. So we hope that this will continue in the future. So if you need more, we can talk more after. <laughs> thank well, thank you.
5: you.
2: very much, Anna and the Patricia. Uh, if the audience have any uh, questions about this project, please keep them. Far. We'll let you do that later. Now I want to invite uh, Analea, Inkia to uh, to share our experience from my media uh, point of view, Analea, in light of of what Anna and Patricia have just presented, what would be uh, the role of media in holding governance to account for development? Please,
6: thank you. Share, um, experience. Maybe I start off by saying, um, looking into the media from the historical perspective, uh, there are researchers who have done a lot of work in terms of what media can do to improve development, particularly in developing countries. From 1960, 64, SRAM actually did a very huge kind of uh, research and proved that media can play a very crucial role in development. But also, when you look into what UNESCO says about the normative role of the media, media has a very specific role to ensure that uh, government is transparent and accountable to the people. And in Tanzania, when they uh, actually kind of put up a law on, on local government, it actually stipulated uh, plainly that uh, there's a need for people participation in local government projects. So it's up to the whoever is doing any project to involve the media. So there's that theoretical perspective. But also, another point I want to make is that is the historical perspective of the media. In ta- the Tanzania media of, of today has it, its history. Tanzania was colonized, as you know, and the media was, had a role. And that role, for example, in the past, the media would actually engage with the government. A lot of um, views of development it was from the government perspective. And today, if you look into the media, the media of today is not very different. It not it, it does not engage the majority citizens in terms of hearing what they are saying. So development from Tanzania, from the media perspective, is from the the the, the ruling class, from the people at the top, not much from the grassroots level. If you could show the slide I had put on, please, to show the research I've done. For example, um, if you look into this research, I examine more than 10,000 news stories, and, if you look into the voices, 57 percent of those uh, 10,000 stories were from the government perspective. And when I talk of government perspective, I mean, I mean the government, the donors, the uh, united bodies and the, the like. Government from the top level to the uh, bottom level. And if you look at the, the other group is like uh, uh, civil society organizations. And little from the citizens, 10%, those were the citizens. So very little is heard from the people. Uh huh. And then if you look into the media also, you find that a lot of the stories are urban oriented. And the majority of them, nearly 50% of the stories which I examined, were from Dar es Salaam. It's like Dar es Salaam is one country, and the out country is another country, if you look into that. So this is how the media is reflecting development. So when it comes to the grassroots level, at the local level, at the local government level, very little is actually coming out into the media. That is how it is. And when it comes to now men and women, 18, only 18% of the voices in the media are women. 82% are men. Yet 51% of the, of the population are women. So what kind of development media is reflecting? This is the question which is down there. And, um, but we are saying, why then? Why it matters for the, for the media to engage with uh, news on the local government level? For the, gov- for, for the local government level to be able to deliver services, there must be a, a citizen participation in, in, imple- in planning, implementation, monitoring, and evaluation of projects. But um, what is the reality? And then there must be efficiency. Efficiency in the the sense that for the local government to be able to be efficient, it must have human resource, it must have capital. But does the media report on this? And then there must be uh, efficiency in terms of delivery, delivery of service so that people are able to enjoy this kind of uh, services which have been delivered by the local government officials. But most critical one, the transparency. The local government should be transparent in terms of what actually is happening, what kind of activities they have, what kind of problem they have in the in the at the at the local government level. But when you look into how the media engage, can I have another st- slide, please? How the media engage? We have said that um, if you look into, into this uh, uh, diagram, we find that the issues which are raised by the Citizens, their majority in terms of schooling, in terms of water, in terms of road. Fifty-nine percent of the stories we are raising those issues: water problem, schooling problem, electricity problem, road problem, and the rest. They'll form majority of the news in the newspapers, in the radio, and whatever. But now, when it comes the stories which are given priority in terms of front page, on the front page, which becomes a lead story, which everybody will be listening to, what is the story of the day? It's not these stories are not there. There are trivial issues spoken by the politicians. Those are the majority. Look at that, 57%. Into, into the, when it comes to the major stories, 15, 18% is where poli- political stories, isn't it? But when it comes to headlines, the stories which are, are given, what, which matters in the news, they are 57%, okay? So, we are asking if the issues of ANANCHI are the majority in the news, but when it comes to what issues to be taken on board, is those issues spoken by the politicians? That is a a critical problem. We are saying why this is happening. When you look at why it is happening, is that... um, Why this is happening is that we have laws which are actually kind of limiting the media. But again, the capacity of the media. It is only recently uh, journalism schools have been opened to the university level. So we have critical problem in terms of capacity of journalists in Tanzania. But the most critical one is that people who are implementing projects, they are not engaging the media. They are doing it by themselves. So when media comes to actually... Engaging into that, engage into the, who is opening the, is actually giving the don uh, the money into the project, finish. But how that money is used, how is it trickling down to the people, nobody reports that. So that's how we have that serious problem. I don't know whether i finish finished or not. Yeah, yeah, then, yeah then. Thank you are done. Thank you. I know <laughs> time is. <laughs> you would <laughs> like to say more, but time is not on your Sorry. Sorry. Okay, Sorry. thank you,
2: Anand. Now I want to invite a uh, team to. Uh, tell us a story about how do politics and the power influence local governance and safety deliveries. Please uh, take over. Uh,
7: yeah, I have a slide that I'm going to um, talk you through. So how do politics and power influence local service Um This slide here is my uh, representation of what um, some people will know as the uh, World Development Report 2004 Accountability Triangle. And uh, this triangle has been... Is that on? This triangle has been um, very influential in shaping how donors and governments think about local service delivery. And the basic idea is that your service recipients, this is your citizens are the principals who provide goals for your politicians or policymakers who are their agents and what happens what is supposed to happen is that these people uh, transmit their desires through what's called the long route of accountability to politicians who then transmit them down through the civil service to frontline service providers who then provide services okay so if this um, uh, structure is not working very well, there are various things that governments and uh, development agencies have tried to do. One of them is to try and strengthen the long route of accountability, and one way of doing this is by trying to strengthen the democratic process, so it could be you know, civic education, uh, election strengthening, parliamentary strengthening. Another way is to strengthen this route through the civil service. So been a variety of uh, public sector reform programs which attempt to make civil service managers more accountable to politicians. And then there's another way of doing it, which is called uh, the short route of accountability, which is sometimes called client power. And one way of doing this is actually to kind of enhance the short route via local government decentralization. And another way is to try and empower citizens by means of Things like um, school committees, local health committees, citizen scorecards, um, various ways of pumping information into the system about service delivery so that service recipients can hold um, the uh, service providers more accountable. Okay, so let me move on to uh, another slide. However, there's a problem with this kind of um, understanding of how the system works because very often these uh, links in the accountability chain get broken. You can see where um, I've, I've got red figures that suggest a break in the chain. One way in which that chain may be broken, is if politicians don't compete for votes on the basis of providing good services to the general population. Instead, they compete on the basis of clientelist list appeal. So through certain individuals in the civil service and at the service front line, they promise to deliver um, goods to private individuals or only certain groups of citizens. So they give preferential treatment rather than serving the public as a whole. And the citizenry doesn't act as a collective because it thinks, okay, we'll trust this guy because he knows these guys and they'll give preferential treatment to our ethnic group or our religious group or our village or, or, or whatever it may be. Okay. Okay. Another reason why this accountability triangle is a a little too simplistic is because it often underestimates the extent of interagency coordination failures. So, for instance, you might have a plan to deliver new textbooks to schools, okay? But the problem is that the people who are producing the textbook are reliant on money coming from the Ministry of Finance. And the Ministry of Finance may not be talking to the people who are supposed to be producing the textbooks. Even if you can get those two things to work together, actually getting those textbooks to do any good in the classroom may involve teachers being trained in how to use the textbooks. But sometimes, again, there's no coordination between the different departments that are responsible for these different tasks. And if you're down here at the level of the citizen, it's not clear that you know what's going on up here and that you know the nature of these coordination failures. So it's very difficult for you to actually impact on that. So, okay, can I have the next slide? And then things can get even more complicated because often you'll find that um, the civil service um, is kind of splintered by various professional associations that may have an interest in blocking reforms, Um, Frontline service providers may belong to public sector unions which have their own ideas about how things should be done. Citizens themselves may be divided by class, ethnicity, gender, and they may face simple sort of free rider problems. So there are all kinds of obstacles to getting citizens to act collectively uh, in pursuit of their interests in service provision. And then uh, the next slide, please. And then, so you have all that complexity, and you add on the top private sector actors, development partners, NGOs, as Anna mentioned, faith based organizations, and you see that what you have is a very, very complex social and political field. So, most sort of donor programs <coughs> that have sought to strengthen service provision. By means of these voice and accountability programs or public sector reform programs, in a fairly sort of linear and um, blueprint fashion, have, have usually been unable to cope with the complexity of this social field. So they've been unable to. Um, kind of join up the different links, the different hypothetical links in the accountability chain. And I think that remains um, a big problem in service provision, and I think that um, Anna's research and that the kinds of things that citizens and district officials told them at local level actually bear that out.
5: Okay, so that's
2: okay thanks a lot, Tim. Now I want to invite Helen uh, uh, newly appointed uh, CEO of Intrac to uh, just uh, share from my perspective. with how can donor-funded interventions best support improvements in local governance and service delivery? Please.
1: Uh. Thank you, Andrew. Um, I just want to pick up on what Tim has been explaining in terms of the long route and the short route, um, and to give a glib answer about sort of how to Im- donors might support the improvement of uh, local governance and service delivery, and that's by making the links between the two. Uh, less compartmentalization of programming, more flexible resourcing to allow for the links to that are in practice there, uh, but in theory um, are, are not uh, sort of uh, fi- don't don't always find their way into programming. So you get this sort of distinction between um, the. Uh, demand side uh, accountability work uh, with the supply side uh, public sector reform programs and the two don't always speak to each other. You also get uh, when you're looking at local governance uh, a set of challenges around the institutions and the the formal organisation of government but not necessarily with uh, a focus on uh, why government exists in terms of its its, its service delivery um, perspectives, um, service provision perspectives I should say uh, because also there's an assumption in a lot of development programs that service delivery is by government but in the reality in Tanzania and in the Uganda where I've just come from it's also uh, a lot of private actors uh, faith-based organizations who are out there and providing services and filling the gap where uh, the the system doesn't work so less compartmentalization of programs will be my sort of first uh, suggestion as as how donors might engage differently I think, again, understanding uh, the complexity has been described, but the sort of that the, the barriers to, to inclusive service delivery are uh, political and institutional. Um, and very often, some of the technical programming that goes on is blind to the politics, uh, 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 political reality, um, the elite capture within the systems, the the weak state capacity and why that exists, um, the whole question of skewed incentives of frontline workers uh, who are in these multiple systems with competing demands and are there by virtue of patronage or or, or other other informal systems uh, of, of governance. So I think understanding and working Uh, with the incentives, to try and change the incentives to actually turn this sort of uh, downward spiral into a vicious circle, into a virtuous circle of of, of, uh, delivery for for citizens. Um, On the issue of political incentives, I think it's quite important. I think Tim touched on the question of information and, and pumping information in to, to the s- local citizenry so that they're informed and better understand what's going on but there's a whole uh, discourse about p- the politics of information sharing the openness and transparency and who gets to see what and learns what and and how information is used politically to the advantage both of uh, the uh, ruling parties and opposition parties in the political and the long route of accountability so just being aware of that and and, and framing programs with that knowledge in mind understanding the political context and, and what is driving what looks you know to be uh, simple things to that, that looked at uh, from the outside simple things to fix but obviously are there for a whole range of complex political reasons um, my fourth point would be to, to be in it for the long haul. I think way back when uh, there was the Paris Declaration and the Accra um, uh, principles uh, about putting support to governments uh, in the long term, predictable funding um, in practice uh, and being able to support uh, these very complex social um, uh, accountability programs. Um, making sure that there is funding available. I mean, I think in Uganda, the the sort of the money that eventually trickles down through the system... Is is so limited to be meaningless. So even having a government official get out to a village, uh, there's no money in, uh, for, for petrol to, to do that. So uh, elaborate systems of accountability that demands even even the officials to get to, 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 to services, let alone um, uh, the, the politicians, etc., is is limited. But if there was predictable and multi-year funding, I mean, a lot of the funding comes in forms of grants. Uh, The organization I was working with had very short-term grants to to civil society organizations who face this constant battle to stay afloat uh, before they can do anything meaningful within their communities. And then finally, I would say having realistic expectations. And I come speak from experience of having um, eight donors supporting uh, the civil society, uh, the democratic governance facility, and a need to have um, accountability uh, to those donors uh, in terms of the funding that was provided to the program, to civil society organizations in Uganda, Um, but an expectation that uh, small amounts of money could change the world. And I think we had a log frame that demanded that we were going to make a there would, there would be a sort of a, a theory of change that took us into um, uh, improving the rule of law and changing uh, the economic situation in the country, while we were providing very small-scale grants uh, to small organisations working in a few few villages. So I think having realistic expectations and not being hidebound by uh, un, un, uh, unrealistic. Um, accountability structures for the donors would be good also recognizing that it's institutionally it takes a long time to change these systems UK government reform has been ongoing to my knowledge since you know 1980s there's been an ongoing public service reform programs and it's still evolving um, these things take time so if donors could plan in that way and be committed for the long term I think that would be good
2: Thank you Helen on behalf of the audience I promise you that we will have a uh, realistic expectations from this audience I mean from this meeting and the other uh, events thank you now i i want to open uh, for discussion uh, to open this uh, it's time for discussion but before i do that let me have few questions for the uh, panel one to ananleah uh, the media i understand that that the media environment in tanzania is said to be quite politically sensitive uh, what is your perspective on this and the, how will this affect the role of media in pro- the process of governance and accountability that's Anna Lea. To Tim...
3: Him, if Anna Lea answers that one first, I think.
2: No, I'll ask the questions to no, the person, then everybody will uh, come back to that. Uh, and uh, Tim, my question to you is, what would be a politically uh, realistic approach into to seek improvement in governance and accountability at the local level? And to uh, Anna and Patricia, your project has so far been tested and applied to specific Tourists in Tanzania. How are these applicable to other contexts, situations, countries, and what would be the next step of this project? And the, uh, 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 finally to Ellen and it all, are there any good examples of context in this of which local finance and service mm-hmm. delivery has been improved? What has driven this change? Please uh, let's start with an earlier uh, team. Yeah.
0: Um,
6: thank you very much. Uh, um, I know that um, the government of President Michael Fool is doing very good job in terms of uh, fighting corruption, in terms of making the government officials work. That is very good. Uh, however, um, there's a lot to be done in terms of uh, because development needs a lot of alternative voice, voice from the people, voice from politicians, from voice from civil society organizations, voice from across. And that voice can only be heard through the media. But when we actually curtail the, 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 the power of the media, that is uh, like denying people to contribute into development. So I would think there's a lot need to be done to open the alternative voice to be heard. But another point I would like to make is that uh, the development actors, they need to do all they could do to ensure that they engage media throughout the project, for the media to be critical. Because for people to be able to hold the government into account, they have to have facts-based information whether bad information or good information. When people have all those kind of information, they are able to to take action. But if we hide information, for example, this kind of uh, findings, they have to go back to the people, to the the villages, to the districts, for people to know what is happening on the ground. When people know this, then they can take action. So, and I was thinking of um, using the local media because local media are close to the people and the people can really get out and speak about that so and i was thinking also media can be effective and vo- critical and constructive if they have knowledge the media in tanzania i'm sure they are, they are antagonizing with the government simply because a lot they don't have a lot of information researchers keep information with themselves government in, uh, keep information with themselves so the media have nothing to say. They end up doing trivial, kind of publishing trivial news, interviewing politicians just for them to sell. Why? Because the real information that matters for development is with the researchers, is with the local government, is with the, whoever holds them. They make it secret. How can you make it, development secret? This is the problem we are having in Tanzania, and it's from colonial perspective. Thank you. Uh,
7: yeah, I have some more slides. And um... And do I need the mic again, or...? OK, thanks. So um, what would be a A politically realistic approach to um, strengthening accountability at the local level? OK, I don't think that you strengthen accountability at a local level by strengthening formal institutions. and i don't think you do it just by putting more information about service delivery into the system although that information may be a useful input i think that accountability gets strengthened when ordinary people gain practical exp- experience of solving problems and of holding part of which may involve holding leaders to account and which generates new habits of interacting with service providers and those people higher up the chain so uh here's another so here's another diagram so you begin i think with a very specific entry point a very specific problem that can focus people's attention so i mean for instance we know that in many developing countries there's a problem of deploying teachers to remote areas to teach actually and we also know that often this can be caused by the fact that teachers don't want to go to these places because they're inhospitable, because they can earn more money in town. And often they avoid being deployed by sometimes bribing officials who turn a blind eye to the fact that they're not actually in post, that they're staying in town. And sometimes attempts to reform this system get blocked by powerful teacher unions who would rather you know, preserve the status quo. So that's an example of how, you know, a problem in development persists because you have these people colored in, these stakeholders colored in red who are opposed to any reform of the system basically blocking change. And the people who might want change like reform-minded officials or education NGOs, the private sector or parents themselves, you know, these people are kind of not joined up. They're not powerful enough to overcome this coalition. And you have a bunch of other people, maybe the president, the education minister, you know, the treasury, even school children, even the media, who are kind of ambivalent about this problem, okay? I mean, they know it exists, but it's not at the top of their agendas. Okay, so let's go to the next slide. So one thing that we can try to encourage as development practitioners in the first instance, I think, is by trying to link up some of these people that actually have an interest in reform so that they can act together. And in acting together, they may also be able to bring other more powerful actors on side. So in this diagram, you see that uh, private sector education NGOs and reform-minded officials are now linked together. And they've also been able to shift the president from uh, an ambivalent position to a a pro-reform position. So this becomes an issue that may be receiving some serious attention from the top of the system. Okay, can I have the next slide? And then as the coalition grows, you find that it's able to turn more of these ambivalent actors into pro-reform actors, and then to be able to isolate some of the stakeholders that are opposed to reform. And it may do this by um, you know, uh, imposing sanctions on them. It may do this by you know, addressing some of the genuine concerns that those stakeholders may have. So you know, it may be about you know, um, improving living conditions for teachers in remote areas, as well as sanctioning them for not actually uh, turning up in those areas. So in time, you're able to isolate reform Opponents and actually gain some traction on this issue by breaking apart this anti-reform coalition. So I think that this is the way of actually um, increasing accountability for local service provision, and I believe that actors, as they gain experience of forming collectives or action groups to work around specific issues, I believe that then the habit of holding leaders to account will grow. So this involves sort of crossing this state-citizen divide. It's not simply citizens holding leaders to account. It's reform-minded groups and individuals acting together to solve specific problems. So that's, that's my uh, take on this subject.
2: Patricia, please. One minute. It's
6: okay, I'll take, take this.
3: <laughs> Okay, I think it's really good that Tim has just come before that, because I think that illustrates a lot of the challenge that we have in Tanzania, but also the opportunity in taking our particular research forwards. I wouldn't want to rush to scale up this type of project, and very much with Mm. echoing what Helen said about taking time to embed this sort of research. This index is not for external use. It only has value if it's of value in those districts. And we have some commitments from those districts. For example, the mayor of Kigomru Gigi, is very keen to take this on. And that's how it will succeed, by being taken on in those local contexts and adapted for need and actually being a tool within what Tim's describing as as enabling some of the conversations to happen that could start some of those coalitions to come together around particular issues and that might start to break down some of what we saw in the system which was civil society simply blaming government, government blaming other parts of government and start to say well okay let's problem solve and we find Um, I mean if we think of the literature, Matt Andrews, the problem driven iterative adaptation sort of approach to doing development differently, which I know that some of us in this room are interested in and have worked around, looking for examples of positive deviance, for example, which means where do we find people who are already problem solving? And our data actually threw up a number of examples of really positive problem solving from at the village level, from the district level, where individuals within the system had, had found ways to make it work with some really quite creative solutions. So learning from what those particular individuals were doing, become making them part of these growing coalitions. But that won't happen from outside. What I'm interested in this project is working directly with our partners such as Foundation for Civil Society, who are with us, With the universities in Tanzania, we mustn't forget about the academic institutions. Having worked within Mzumbay, it started off as an institute for training administrators and local government Mm. staff. Mm -hmm. It still does train a lot of local government staff, degrees, um, uh, bachelor's degrees, master's degrees, and even up to PhD. So there's a critical role there in building the capacity and critical understanding of the individuals who are going to be coming through into the civil service as well. So we mustn't forget universities within those coalitions. So I think it's if Mzumbi Foundation for Civil Society can take this forward with the local government actors, how it scales up is sort of not up to us and not up mm-hmm. to the project, but it will evolve. And mm-hmm. as an analysis, taking also local media's capacity mm-hmm. into account.
1: Yeah, Helen that's the mm-hmm. the please, then, audience. <laughs> 30 seconds. <laughs> can okay, down, but down, numerous down. examples <laughs> of where we've seen positive action by civil society uh, in raising the accountability and improving service delivery. The one I'll cite, if I've only got 30 seconds, is the uh, civil society budget advisory group in Uganda, who are working on participatory planning and budgeting with through our, their own sort of networks, working in uh, consultation with um, civil society groups to surface the issues, to identify the problems, and to then reformulate and recast those as part of the national budget planning process and playing those into a dialogue with the Ministry of Finance. So drawing through the system uh, the voices of those that are articulating their their needs around service delivery and putting those into the national uh, uh, planning. I think in the last three years, they have had 80 of their proposals accepted and reflected in the national budget. So, from that perspective it's really been successful and you asked me what some of the drivers for that might have been and I think it's about mutual trust and respect between the civil society organisations and the Ministry of Finance, a willingness by government to actually buy into that idea of voice being fed into the system and seeing value in the input so actually benefiting from the information that is arriving to them um, uh, in a form that they can digest and translate into policy choices Um, and then uh, having the networked organization. So CSBAG is a coalition of, organi- of civil society organizations that draws its sort of membership from across uh, Uganda and is able to get different perspectives into that policy dialogue in that way.
2: We're going to take a, a round of three questions, two from the audience, then one from the uh, people are listening from the, uh, all over the globe. So uh, uh, On the other one question.
3: We stopped at this side.
2: So, sorry, and one question from you and then from, from that end.
8: Then I come up. Thank you very much. Andrew Shepard uh, at ODI, Chronic Poverty Network. Um, I, I sense um, that you want to avoid the blame discussion, um, and you've explained why, I think. Um, you're arguing that this sort of approach of performance evaluation and comparing uh, districts or, or local government units will succeed if actors take it on. I sense a reluctance to get the central government involved. You don't argue that the central government should make this a kind of central system in any way. <clears throat> and you say that it won't, you know, it won't do any good if it happens from outside. And I, I don't know whether you include the central government as outside or not, No, OK. Um, but next door, you've got Rwanda with a very different approach, where mayors resign voluntarily rather than um, get the sack. And there they they have um, district advisory councils that are scrutinizing what um, happens at the district level. You have an official league table um, and you know all the details. I mean, clearly there's a massive difference in the political economies between Rwanda and Tanzania. I'm not suggesting that there should be any, you know, transfer from one to the other, but two very different approaches with, I suspect, potentially very different results. I don't know. I just wondered uh, if you reflected on, on those differences at all.
2: Yeah, uh, please, uh, when you ask a question, please tell us your names Sorry, and the, your organisation as yeah. well as try to be as brief as much as you can, uh, please uh, Mike, to
9: that end. Is, uh, thanks everyone, thanks to the panel. It's uh, Gareth Wolf from the Commonwealth Local Government Forum um uh, and i just want to follow on from some, some of the points that uh, andrew andrew brought up is the one of the things that seemed a bit strange in the framing is that i don't know whether it's just because we're at odi but it seemed to be what what can donors do and not what tanzania can do um i didn't know why that seemed to be the focus i don't know if that's because of the research and the grant or you think that's particularly influential i didn't um i was quite struck by um sorry let me go in my notes where are we they've disappeared um uh, in terms of uh, who, you, uh, I, I thought the index was really interesting. In terms of who you were talking to, I didn't quite get an idea of, to you know, you are talking to citizens, councillors, local administration, NGOs, and if they all seemed to agree that these were the things, that they, or if there was any disagreement, uh, and how you made those balances on the disagreements. Um, um, so, uh, sorry, I've lost my notes now. Um, uh, Uh, oh. uh, yeah, I'll yeah. carry on, I'll we'll get back.
2: Later, later. Yeah. yeah, and uh, we have uh, a question from uh, Lusaka Zambia, from Moses Ngulube, from Lusaka Zambia. We'll, uh, Moses would like you to hear more about how the short and long rules to accountability were creatively used in Tanzania to foster accountability and the responsiveness of local authorities. Uh, we have three questions, please, audience, and team, and I think it's Anna and Tim and Andy' I don't see any
3: from, from you. Okay, yes. Uh, no, we we were counting central government as part of this, but, I mean, this was particularly on the local government side. So one of the the sort of lines of blame and accountability very much does look at where the blockages to central government come from, and quite a lot of the blockage at the local level is through the disbursements and the policy, the nature of policy, um, and this gap between what's written on the policy paper and, of course, what is possible in implementation practice. And the gap is very large in the Tanzanian context. Mm -hmm. This project spanned a period of intense political change in Tanzania in the sense of having the new government, the new president, who is very impressed with Rwanda and models himself on Kagame so i think we could see a shift and in one sense we have a real opportunity with the project now because it fits the political mood in Tanzania which is very much on local government performance so if you wanted to use the index uh, and you know this is for central government this this could be a tool that they could use to look at what local governments are doing in a comparable way and what we because what we really tried to take in our selection of the indicators was what is possible for local government to provide? What do they already have and what should they be collecting data on if they were to assess the sort of inclusiveness of the policies as well? And we, we have a list of indicators here, but it's not to say we have data on all of the indicators because some of these indicators there isn't data collected on. What we have got some indication of is the nature of disbursements coming from the central government and we have quite a lot of data about the problems within the district from the central government issues. So those could be part of conversations from the district government to the ministries that they're dealing with then Um, and the political systems, the political party system as well with all these other lines of accountability. So Rwanda... Could get closer to the Tanzanian model. I think there could be quite a lot sort of learning between those, those two things, particularly because that's the way the political mood's going. Gareth, you asked about donors. Well, in our project, no, the focus isn't on donors, it's very much on local government system and not even on civil society, if I'm quite honest, because we found very little civil society engagement at the village level. Mm-hmm. They we hear a lot about civil society within accountability discussions. Actually, I think we have to be quite careful because the presence of civil society is quite minimal, particularly at the village level. And we find them, yes, at the district level. But the debates, the sort of nature of the things they raise are very much shaped by the donor discourses. And so we have to be just a little bit careful about what's going on there. We really tried to get a very big spread of who we were talking to. And this is sort of anthropological, ethnographically-based research. So it's very iterative. We're going back, cross-checking, triangulating what people are saying the focus groups that we have and getting down to these last indicators are very much a process of discussion and trying to balance some of the um, the, the different debates. I mean, for example, Pr- Patricia brought up the example of gender and this came from civil society organisations feeling that they ought to be saying gender about every indicator mm-hmm. because that comes in the donor discourse. But then when we get down to the practicality, how do we do that? What sort of data are we getting? So in some places like education, we can get gender disaggregated data much more easily than in others so it's about then having the conversation about what is realistically possible. Um, I don't think there was any more for me I think it was Tim. Uh, can oh, can do you want to? Yes Patricia you ask
4: me. Yes some people were quite skeptical on the idea of indicators having index as well um, but we are talking about the overall yeah there are people who talked about Data. Where do we get our data? Because when you look at the report, you will see that we have um, the perception of citizen. We also have information from the district council on the financial, um, the, the last year financial, what they received in terms of their budget. Mm-hmm. So when we are talking to people, they were they told us that when you get, if this data were not coming from this, the government, we would have trusted it more. So we don't trust that whatever they are giving you as information is actually what, um, what is true. So there were people who were quite skeptical, but we, overall, it was positive. Not to say that everyone did and they agreed to the idea of having
2: indicators, yeah.
7: To it? Yeah, I mean, on the, on the comparison of uh, Tanzania and Rwanda, I mean, Rwanda is a very different kind of, as you say, political economy from Tanzania. You have a, a high level of power concentration at the, the top of the system, and you have very strong formal institutions. Um, so actually, it's much easier to go in with a, a sort of conventional donor program and achieve targets. And... Also, when the government has its own objective, it's able to achieve those targets because, shall we say, the sinews of power work far more effectively in Rwanda than they do in Tanzania, where power, despite the fact that you have a dominant CCM party, power is actually quite dispersed. And, um, you know, people at the top are often able, unable to make the decisions they take stick um, and it's true that uh, the current president is trying to appears to be trying to move Tanzania in a sort of Rwandan direction, but um, it, he will face a real political struggle to do that. I think, and um, I think the jury remains out on, on whether or not that will be feasible. Um, on, I, I just want to answer this question about the the short and long how the short and long groups have been. Used in Tanzania, um, well, you know, we've had a plethora of plethora of um, civil society strengthening programs and things like that in Tanzania, and I think that what's happened is that uh, transparency has increased, but <coughs> there's been a lag between transparency increasing and accountability increasing so people do talk about transparency without accountability in Tanzania currently although uh, there are, there are some improvements in accountability I think over over recent large um, corruption scandals and I think that uh, the fact that Magafuli was chosen as the CCM candidate may in fact be a reflection of a, a growing concern among the ruling elite that corruption is actually hurting the the political chances of the of the ruling party and in terms of the short uh, the short route well I mean I think that the the key thing is decentralization but you know I started doing research in Tanzania in in 1995 and this was when the, the decentralization was beginning and you know 20 years later it hasn't got that much further. And, you know, sometimes governments decentralise, you know, de- governments decentralise for various reasons. Sometimes they feel that local level conflicts are threatening to engulf the centre. So they feel that by, you know, decentralising power, then they are able to protect the centre a bit better. Sometimes they feel that the um, the behaviour of local officials is actually endangering the popularity of the centre. So by making local officials more accountable, it actually strengthens the centre. But it's not clear. That either of these really applied in the Tanzanian case, and I feel that you know decentralization was really a donor driven agenda which was initiated at a time when Tanzania was very donor dependent, and that it hasn't actually been implemented with, with any degree of seriousness. And that's why you see a lot of these disconnects, a lot of these blockages. And now we seem to be moving towards an era of sort of recentralization if anything, especially because, um, you know, decentralisation, one of the things it did achieve was to provide a base where some of the opposition parties could begin to strengthen themselves. And I think that uh, the ruling party is um, is trying quite hard to now kind of uh, extinguish those local bases uh, of the opposition.
5: I'll stop there.
2: Uh, I'm going to take another round of questions, uh, but before I come to this audience, <coughs> I have one question from uh, Sarah from Tia Fund. would like to ask Analia what kind of What's the role of digital media in Tanzania? We'll answer that later, maybe after uh, listening from the audience.
5: Uh. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. Duncan Green from MoxFam and LSE. Brilliant presentation, really interesting work. Thank you very much for this. I've been thinking about a, uh, a, a comparable experiment in Vietnam in a sort of closed political space called PAPI, which does a local government index and has been working for a few years. And the comparison's interesting because it goes a bit further than you're suggesting. So one, it got the government involved through mass organizations as a kind of way of legitimizing what was asking difficult questions. And, it does a, and the second one is it does do a composite index. Uh, it actually puts 69 muni- uh, sort of areas in a a league table. And the first time they did that, they got death threats. The following year, they got phone calls saying, how do you help us move up the table? So if you don't do a composite index, you actually give up uh, basically the the, the power of competition between local authorities. Um, And I'm just wondering whether you think that that's uh, it's worth looking at because actually people want to beat their neighbors. And that's a really big motivating factor in all, in all walks of life. That's one thing Oxfam's found from lots of different kinds of indexes.
10: Silvia Stefanoni, independent uh, consultant. Uh, thanks very much for the presentation. I have a question on, the, it seemed to me what came true from the presentation, there is a lot of um, uneasiness about, as we were just saying, index producing or any informal um more data gathering that is independent and provide evidence on auditing of that kind of, uh, as does not seem to lead into potential actions and solutions. That's what I'm, I'm hearing. But what I'm interested in is, is there a role for the two types of data gathering? So one is is a data gathering that got some independence or try to have some independence. For example, what is the role of the National Audit Office in Tanzania in this process. I would be very interested to hear what uh, what is the your thinking around that.
2: Okay, now uh, maybe one question for that, four then the audience uh, and the panelists will ask. Name, Good
0: morning, uh, I'm Marta Matosek from Social Development uh, Team at ODI. Uh, My question will refer to Analia, specifically I'm interested in the uh, role of local media. You've mentioned that there are quite a few challenges being faced by the local media, and I would like to ask what are the key inhibitors? of engaging Um, and what do you mean by local media is it uh, the radio station newspapers or we are also talking about the uh, digital and social media um, perhaps mobile phones and uh, do you have any examples uh, positive examples of how locally engaged uh, uh, media or um, in initiatives uh, produced a good, uh, um, good uh, response to accountability issues on the local level. Thank you.
2: Okay, thank you, Anna. Let's start. To... You have two questions, then
0: yeah. the rest, Anna and me. I, I will yes. start with Sarah.
6: Um, the question on role of digital media uh, in Tanzania. Yeah, we have. Um, A lot of mobile people are on mobile phones and things like that, and it's part of social media. But we have um, a law, cyber law of 2015, which actually kind of prevents whistleblowers. So when it comes to accountability, there's a challenge in there, because uh, a lot of information is considered as as secret, government secret. So, if you have something in relation to something wrong happening down there, you have to be very smart and very good in terms of evidence, otherwise you end up yourself being criminalized for that information. so we have that that's why I'm saying we if really we need to if we have to kind of improve local local governments, we need to align by the media laws aligned by the laws of the constitution because the constitution allows Freedom of information, but the other laws like this one cyber law, kind of prohibit people to actually uh, give out information. So that is a critical uh, challenge we have in terms of uh, digital media. But w- the second question from the what is her name Martha, Martha is uh, on the issue of local local media. When I, I talk of local media, I mean media which are in the local local geographical. I mean, they like if we have radio, television, newspapers at the local level, at district level, which are based at the district level, they are based at the regional level, they are based at the village level. Those are the what I'm considering. And according to the information I have, is that these are categorised in some of them are church, majority of them are church faith based, others are like business based. So. Majority of them, in that 80% of them, they are actually not talking of development issues. They are talking of religious issues. They are talking of business, like they promote music, they promote those kind of celebrity and things like that. They are not critical to development issues. So you will not hear them discussing about what budget this district have this year for water, for example. What kind of budget this district have for road, this year, for example, so they will be talking about uh, faith issues, believing God. You know, if you have this illness, you have to go to this church and whatever and whatever. They are not talking of the real issues which are causing those kind of problems. Like if you drink uh, water which is not safe, you get disease and things like that. And so, I think we have that serious problem of also um, making, uh, building, strengthening the capacity of the media to be able to engage effectively in development issues at the local level. Because for me, I believe you can have thousands of media around, but what are, what is the agenda of this media? What are they discussing on air? If they are discussing about music, about beauty, about sexuality, they are not talking about really issues on budgets on implementation of uh, local government uh, projects and things like that, for me, those media, they added li- very little value in terms of development. And that's where we, we have challenge in Tanzania. Yes, there is a freedom of media, established media, but what are the roles, development role are, are they are playing? It is very challenging and very debatable. And we, we really need to do a lot to actually make uh, media role effective in terms of making it uh, media add value to development that's what i would i would say uh, so yeah and if those media were actually working they would do a lot in terms of sensitizing the local government on their role in terms of development but because those media local media are not actually playing their development role effectively because of the setup the mandate they've been given. And of course, somebody said, because they were these, all these were donor driven. It is, you know, when something comes from people themselves, from the willingness of the government itself that they want to see this, of course, they'll put even policies which are actually conducive. But for me, I suspect a lot of these things came from the top. And from the top, prevent from actually interfering a lot with the, what is on the ground. So yeah. It's a a big challenge.
1: Thank you. Helen. I'd just like to draw together three of the questions in response, uh, just make an observation around um, the question of composite indices and and, and the use of those in accountability, and to refer back to Moses and Gulube uh, from Zambia about long routes of accountability. there's a good example sitting in Uganda around uh, a local government scorecard initiative that has done just as you described, which has, has, has ranked or has has scored uh, 30 district uh, authorities uh, against each other and has been used to, in the first year you said there was the death threats. It wasn't quite death threats in, in, in Uganda, but it was uh, dis- disquiet about the results. Uh, the second year was uh, how do we go up the, uh, the agenda, which is the sort of the short route of accountability. How do we improve our services and get our ranking up. And the third bit, which is quite interesting, there's a case study that came out of uh, the work uh, that Okoji did uh, in in championing this this local government scorecard and the chairperson of Kabaroli in the 2016 elections cited the score that uh, was uh, for his authority uh, within this scorecard as the the platform on which he won that election and was re-elected. And not many people in in Uganda at that local level were re-elected. So he he, uh, there's a political and long route to the accountability and the use of such indices. If they are uh, set against each other, but in answering the other question about is there merit in the approach that has been taken, I think one of the key things about the research, and, and Anna alluded to it as we came into the d- discussion, it wasn't about trying to think about the scaling up and the looking; it was about the process. And actually, it's as much about the process and the opening of space for dialogue between involved, you know, concerned individuals, actors around a problem, uh, than it is about the actual indicators and the, and the data that comes up. The, the, the actual uh, research hasn't got as far it's established a baseline, but it hasn't had the data to say whether there have been improvements, whether it's 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 actually been able to trigger uh, an accountability response and improve service delivery. But just by having that dialogue, by opening up those channels of communication by starting to crowd in the right people to have the conversation, I think there is a measure of of accountability and value in that process.
3: Yeah, Yeah, just to sort of follow up that. um, I've been reading a bit of literature around blame, and particularly in the sort of new public management approach to local government and things like that. One of the, the problems of composite indexes and any of these sort of scoring mechanisms is the gaming that starts to go on. As soon as you make those tables and we see it very much in the UK context. I mean LSE today has just been given a bronze rating for its teaching quality. For example, just was reading it this morning and you exactly. <laughs> so, so what what will happen? is now the government's ranking teaching of universities, the game shall commence in terms of how do we raise our statistics, how do we bribe students to say the right things on the right survey so that our index can go up. Universities have been playing this game for a long time around the research assessment exercises. And so gaming on these type of indexes is a serious problem, and that's what I would have certainly disquiet about, what what gaming would suddenly go on around these transparency and blame processes and using those indexes. And one of the, the criticisms we now see of some of the indices, like right, the sort of Ibrahim governance index, is, well, we saw some shifts going on when we first had these things, but now we don't really see a great deal of shifting. In fact, we see some degradation in what was originally trajectories of change around governance and that actually these indicators of governance don't always correlate with better performance in terms of service delivery. I mean, there's the ODI report on, on service delivery which makes that point. Um, produced by the governance team. So I think we just... I'm, I'm naturally averse. I'm an anthropologist. I'm averse to the sort of quantification approach, but I can see it has value in some contexts. I think it would be a different project that we did that would, ha- that would scale this up to, to many levels, and it might be a next step from this type of research is to say, OK, well, how could you use this in a different way, not just as a problem-solving tool, but as the comparative composite index, and what process would we then need to go for for that, and how would we minimise the gaming of that approach?
2: Yeah, okay, thanks. Uh, I got, like, five minutes. Uh, so I want to acknowledge the questions from uh, Clive Bacon, counterpart international in Zambia, who asked the same question about uh, uh, faith Birthday radios. So Anna and let uh, addressed that. Also, I have an website, uh, Web webster from Danish Institute for International Studies, Copenhagen, asked the same question as uh, the one Andrew Shepard asked. So... We have answered that. Uh, maybe I have two questions from the floor before I ask the panel to write up the discussion. Two questions from the floor. One, two, maybe three from that. Okay, Has <laughs> the mic. Yeah. Uh,
7: thank you very much. Is this working? Yeah. My name is Marcus Manuel. I'm uh, a senior research associate here at ODI. I had two questions. Firstly. While you've been doing this, of course, the world has been having a debate about indicators, and I wondered what overlap you saw or comparisons you saw with the SDG global goal indicators that are now coming out uh, in the process. And secondly, given you referenced the issue around financing so much, I wonder whether you had costed how much it would do to produce these indexes on a quarterly annual basis uh, at this level. Thank you.
0: Hi, my name is Jess Hayes from Integrity. Um, we've been supporting the Legal and Human Rights Centre in Tanzania and the Zanzibar uh, Legal Service Centre to develop a um, perception-based index on civil and political rights. Um, and the key, the key thing there is it's perception-based because there is a there's a real gap in data on a lot of the indicators that would um, that <clears throat> we would want to look at um, if if it was set up like this. So. I just wanted to um, get a sense, I know you're not scaling it up yet, but um, how you would see this working in practice in terms of collecting all this information, who would be collecting it, and how, how it would, um, and, and how you would mitigate the issues around data gap. Thanks. Yeah.
2: Last question from the floor.
4: Claire Thomas, the Deputy Director of Minority Rights Group. I just wanted to push Anna and Patricia a little bit on the point you made about um, inclusion. So I'm still not really clear how many citizens participated. In whether they were sampled or whether you, and how far you were able to go. I'm worried about the the Vietnam example about masking. So about having communities within hunter gatherers, for example, haven't been mentioned, who this wouldn't, if you did expand, you'd have to think again. And obviously you've said it's very located in in one setting, but even within that setting, how did you not, not, I'm not talking about gender, I'm talking about ethnicity, um, indigenous peoples, and, and, and disability hasn't been raised as well. Um so all of those other disaggregations, which brings us back to the SDG point that was raised then as well.
2: Okay.
3: They seem mostly
6: for us. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah.
3: <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, very much aware of the indicators debate going on around this. And... I mean, I used to be within ODI and then, you know, again, very aware of the, the dialogue and the, the push towards quantification of many of these types of things. And I've worked a lot around gender and quantifying within, say, women's empowerment is incredibly difficult and then problematic when you try and do it. And Sally Engel merry has just published a book, The Seductions of Quantification. And if people have come across that, she was doing lecture tours uh, recently, looking at how we sort of, start to actually create and influence the debate. And again, it's, it's a bit like the gaming of the system. We become led by the indicator rather than the concept and the issue that we're trying to solve. So I'm, I, I am quite wary of using these indicators as proxies because there's, there's quite a, a gap in understanding of what an indicator does. And that's about research literacy and data analysis literacy. How do we select an indicator? It's just a proxy for concepts that we're trying to get at and concepts are often quite difficult and even in things like inclusion if we're talking about people with disabilities who are including when we've got a whole gamut of different disabilities whose voices whose who and do the indicators we select then help us say that or do we actually need to look more at the complexity and get better at working with some of the complexity but of course within development we have an aversion to complexity because we want to have the simple Indicators. We want to have headlines that we can all sign up to, such as within now the SDGs. So I don't think I can have more space to say much about that at the time. Maybe we can talk about that yeah, further yeah. outside. So going to the data that we have here, the baseline data is being collected in three different ways. A citizen perception survey, that is too small at the moment, and we know that, and that's because of the, the time of trying to get it. So that was 100 citizens purposive sampled for location, wealth, gender, Occupation, and so on. I've done a lot of this type of research at, at village level, at local community level in Tanzania, and really trying to look across the different divides and dimensions within local communities. We did a frontline workers survey about the conditions that they experience, the amount of equipment that they have, um, elements of inclusion within frontline services as well. So one of the indicators that we have is around, you know, what's the pass rate of. The poorest cohort of children within the schools, for example. So we've tried to design the indicators so they do pick up some of these issues. They're not perfect by any means. And what we would expect to see is that these things would get developed. One thing, for example, that is supposed to pick up vulnerability would be around the conditional cash transfers. There is a what is supposedly now a nationwide program of conditional cash transfers. We find it in the data very problematic in terms of who is being selected for those cash transfers, and a lot of misunderstanding at the local level. So we've we tried to capture that within the indicators. We then have the district council data on the key issues. Again, trying to select what, what can actually local government do something about in selecting those indicators, rather than... You know, an issue that comes up a lot is access to electricity. But what can local government do about access to electricity if it's being provided by the central state company? So we come up with an indicator of whether public facilities have electricity or power sources. So it's very difficult. We've tried to sample as widely as possible, It's, but it's incredibly difficult to get all those issues in but we've tried to in selecting the indicators push towards questions of inclusion we certainly picked up on things like pastoralist land issues community conflicts because we've been going right to the village level and with lots of livelihoods uh, not livelihoods life history interviewing in the first place it was very embedded anthropological sort of research within the village communities to even generate the long list of indicators of saying what were the concerns what were the different dimensions going on within the the local um, sort of frontline experience
6: Anything yeah. else, Patricia, do you want to
4: yeah. add anything there? Um, we, we uh, in terms of selection of the participants, it was, um, we started off with a, a random selection so that we can get people from different backgrounds. We had a list of, uh, we wanted people from like different ethnic group, from different religion to be in the same room. We had a list of uh, Things that we are looking for, so that we can make, make up a group. But we have to go for the village leaders because we cannot just go to a village without going for them. And we give them what the list and uh, the list of uh, disaggregation of what we are looking for. Then we work with them. It's not like they just go and tell us you go there. But we work with them so that we get what we wanted from uh, in terms of uh, participation. And when it comes to councillors, uh, we need, we ask uh, uh, the councillors and whoever is available turn up on the day. So it's, um, we did consider the fact that there has to be uh, a mixture of uh, people involved.
3: I mean, that was a phase two process. Phase so that two, was much more yeah, kind of refining. Of refining, this, refining. And then it was much more specific uh, invitations. But we did go back out to the villages and the original interviewees yeah. as well yeah. for the feedback.
2: Okay, thank you, uh, my team. Uh, now I, really, I want to end up the discussion. I'm going to invite every member of the panel to just for at least 40 seconds to <laughs> <laughs> give the, just to round up. Uh, uh, i start with Helen, then towards the, that direction. Please. Okay,
1: the question that I question was, uh, how are we going to improve all of this? I think one of the things that comes out of the research very very strongly is making time and space for uh, the conversations to happen, uh, paying attention to process uh, and, and what comes out of that process, and uh, making sure that there is, uh, fr- from that process of dialogue, uh, problems are surfaced and, and, and the right actors are in the same room to... to, to um, find their solutions. I think in that process, as well as a focus on the indicators which will be necessarily sort of quantitative, the qualitative nature of the discussion is something else that uh, would go alongside this research to actually capture the nature of the issues that are coming out from citizens and villagers who, who are actually facing the reality of poor service provision and, and from that the uh, stakeholders can produce something further. So time and space uh, and attention to process would be my recommendation for going forward.
6: Uh, For me, I would uh, like to say the citizen voice is very critical in enhancing local government accountability. Uh, So for citizens to be able to hold the government accountable, they need to have facts-based information. And this facts-based information will only be able to reach the people through the media. So uh, all government, all uh, project implementers, they need really to, ensure that media are involved. So my recommendation will be that there is a need to sensitize local government councils, key officials, on accountability and the importance of engaging the media throughout in everything, not only when donors are opening. I mean, they are coming to to give the money. Uh, They have to be engaged throughout, through planning, implementation, monitoring, and the like. And uh, I would also... uh, like to recommend that there should be continued uh, research on local government accountability. The initiative of Anna and the rest need to continue, because they'll be able to tell us what happens next and things like that. And the most, another important thing is that uh, as Tanzanians, I think we need to align with the media, uh, with the Constitution, so that we are, the media are able to engage effectively in dissemination of information on local government accountability. And the last, I think, we need to strengthen the mainstream media and the local media. Why? Because um, when media is informed, they can write critical news. And the critical news is that doesn't mean bad news, no. When media is able to kind of disseminate information about good things, it's also important for the people to understand what is happening on their localities, what the local government is doing, what the problem the local government is, is facing, because at times people are just skeptical because they they have no information, they suspect everybody is a thief, yet maybe there's no money, because the money, I mean maybe donor did not bring the money, or maybe the government has not been able to collect taxes effectively to be able to implement projects, but people are not informed, they are left in the darkness. And this is the role which media could play, but media is not engaged effectively and strategically in development projects. So for me, I would appeal for whoever actually is doing development projects in Tanzania to consider the media role. Media people, journalists have to be informed. They have to be part of the process. Thank you. Uh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Okay, I've said a lot, so I'll try and keep it really brief.
3: I think it's just a plea for when all our various organizations, civil society, NGOs, universities um, and so are working on these type of accountability projects. let's think about some of the research out there. There' are quite a lot of research now about how complicated accountability lines are, but there are still so many projects that assume simple accountability as a theory of change. Please, and theories of change, look at the literature that already exists. We don't need more literature on this, it's already out there. So please, let's talk to each other in terms of designing these type of projects and programs.
2: Patricia? Um,
4: what I've realized doing this project is that it's quite important to think about the people that, where we go to collect information. They are not stupid. Whatever outcome we get, we should also think of going back to them and giving them feedback. They often give, 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 but they don't take anything back. They want to learn as much as we want to learn as well. We go learn from them, we have to give them the outcome. And that's something that came strongly for the three years because people appreciated the fact that it wasn't about the outcome, it was just the fact that we went back to them. And for those who remember, they were quite proud that we came back to them and they were happy to talk to us again. Although some of them were quite reluctant to talk to any sort of researcher in the future, but they were quite so happy to talk to us just for the fact that we went back and gave them feedback, and I think they deserve it because they they talk to us a lot, but we just consider them as people who need to tell us, then we move on and pass on the information to other people. We never go back to them, so that's something that we should uh, learn from this process. Uh,
7: yeah, thanks very much. Um, I, I really like this piece of research. I like the approach of building bottom-up, locally meaningful indicators and using them as a, a focal point or a starting point uh, for a conversation about, about how to solve problems. Um, I acknowledge that there, you know there is a tension between having that kind of data and having you know, nationally comparable data. Uh, the different types of data can do different types of things. Um, but I think it's interesting that in this project, both the, the Kigoma and the Mvomero studies actually produced similar sets of indicators. So, in fact, one may find that in practice that tension becomes resolvable and that over time it is possible to actually scale this. Um, but I think, nevertheless, even if it's scaled, the, the bottom-up element needs to be retained because I think a, a national program which tried to impose this from the top down would, would probably be, be less effective.
2: Yeah, thank you, Tim. Uh,
7: uh, I want to bring up uh, this
2: discussion to an end. But before I do that, really, uh, me as a chair, what I've learned from these discussions is that really, any attempt, any attempt or exercise of developing such index is so complicated, and you cannot simplify it. How uh, uh, that's one. But also, we've seen that from the audience we has spoken that there's a need of the need of engaging citizens and the media. And the, the call is whoever is doing, whether it's an academician or a, any practitioner, the any attempt of engaging citizens and the media, there's a possibility of producing a very good kind of, uh, in terms of improvement, rather than thinking that anything coming from top. So that's my take home, that citizens and the media should be part in the process for whatever we do as practitioners and the academicians. Uh, I, I want to thank you, audience, for coming to uh, this place. But also I want to thank you all those who have been following up this discussion from all over the world. But uh, and a huge thanks to my team on the high table. Uh, but also I don't want to forget uh, Sophie. Where is Sophie? She's done, a, yeah, she's done a wonderful job to, 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 to be able to organize this event. So I want to again. Also, to appreciate your 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 contribution, your 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 contribution towards this uh, event. So, I thank you very much, and Have a beautiful and blessed day. Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening. For more
1: ODI live event podcasts, find us on SoundCloud or subscribe to the Overseas Development Institute podcasts via iTunes.